Let me pray. Father God, help us as we look at this story of Zacchaeus, and not just Zacchaeus, the other characters around him. Help us to see that you are a saving and a gracious and a good God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hate getting lost. I hate car parks and I hate getting lost. Uh, the problem is, I didn't, the problem is Anna's quite good at getting lost. She would not disagree with that. My role is I'm quite good at getting angry when we get lost. So this has been a source of quite a bit of friction in our relationship over the years. Because um, I just hate getting lost. My patience evaporates. It's like, what's going on here? Because we shouldn't be lost. Why are we lost? What, what, what's going on about this getting lost business? I think, I think when I'm lost or when you're lost, there's this sense of I haven't got any ground. Everything's groundless. I don't belong. This is not my place and I'm putting a lot of effort to get to where my place is and the situation's hopeless because I'm lost. Even when you lose your keys or lose something at home and you run around looking for it, it's like... I'm, my life is not progressing because I haven't got my stupid phone or my keys. Life is not as it should be because I shouldn't be here. I should be there doing that. Instead, I'm doing this. And it's not just geography. We might say of somebody, well, he's lost. He's completely lost. Somebody might say of themselves, you know, I was really struggling with life until X and Y and Z and then I found myself. And now I have found... Now what's going on there? How do you lose yourself? Ooh, where am I? I'm gone. I'm lost. Oh, there I am. I found myself. But you do understand that sense of in life, of being groundless of being in limbo, of I shouldn't be here, I should be, well, I should be somewhere else. And I'm lost. We just sang that hymn, as David said, I once was lost, but now I am found. And the man, it writes the man who grew up as a rebel, joined the Navy, got kicked out of the Navy, fled the Navy, became a slave ship, person, a drunkard, a womanizer, and then he met Jesus. He once was lost, he says, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We're in this short series from Luke's Gospel, just three talks, Lost and Found. It sort of fits well into this, our theme for the year of belong. You've got a place in the family of God. You, you can belong. Last week, Johnny shared with us, on the lost sheep and the lost coin and how God goes and gathers and puts the effort in to call us back. And that's rejoicing. Well, Johnny's on leave this week. You might be surprised because you'll see him here, but he's actually on holidays. And so I am filling the gap between his two lost and found talks this morning. And I'm st we're staying in Luke's Gospel. We're going a bit forward from where he's been at in Luke's Gospel up to chapter 19, actually not just chapter 19, it's chapters 18 and 19 because there's three characters in those two chapters who are lost and found. 
And, and as we look at those three characters, it's not as straightforward as you might think. Because you have to wonder, well, who is lost? And who is actually found? And what does it take to be found? We're starting with one of the most interesting characters, I think, in the entire Bible. This story is in just about every children's Bible. You know, children's Bibles, they pick and choose to make it interesting. Well, this is an interesting story. It's always fun to draw. It's the story of Zacchaeus, which we read. Every good story needs good characters. Generally, it's, it's kind of nice to have a good guy and a bad guy. Maybe you might have an insecure guy or something else. The other thing about a good story is you'll notice if you get a good story that there's lots of incidental details. You think, well, they don't add much to the basic story. <clears throat> what they do is they create interest. So, you know, Mary lived in a house. Well, I'm sure she did. That's very helpful. But what if Mary lived in a green gabled house in a deep, dark forest? Oh, that's interesting. Who is this Mary character? Zacchaeus is interesting, partly because of his incidental details. We're told a bit about him. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. So this man is a Jew, but he is not a good Jew. In fact, he's, not, he's a tax collector who are despised and hated. They take your money. It's not like the tax collector today who sends us a letter or something on the email. He stands there in person and he says, you give me. And I'll take a bit more because I'm taking some for myself. Thank you very much. And I'm working for the Romans, the, the invader. Thank you very much. But he's just not a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. Probably head of tax in Jericho. He would have been well known because people would have stood there giving him money. He would be despised. He is the black moustache, black hat, wealthy, oppressive trader. He's a bad guy, Zacchaeus. Don't kid yourself. You do not want to live next door to Zacchaeus. We all hate, we all really hate Zacchaeus. And to make matters worse, we're told that he's short. Now, there's nothing wrong with being short. Many of you are. <laughs> I'm married to someone who's short. She's great. There's nothing wrong with being short, but you know, you might say that someone's got a big nose, I don't know, or big ears, I don't know who would have them, it sort of characterises somebody and it sort of gives you something to pick on. So you've got this mean, nasty, hated guy who just happens to be short, probably got a Napoleon complex. He's, he's pretty dislikable in every way. A mean, little, wealthy, powerful thief, traitor. You can imagine Zacchaeus, he would be a hardened man. Cut off from his people, constantly, day after day, give me money, give me your money, give me your money. I don't care that you hate me, give me your money. 
calloused. Yet somehow he is fascinated by Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Oh, you poor little bugger. Excuse my language for those of you who get offended. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. It's a bit like a ticker tape parade. Here comes Jesus. And it's hard to get a gander at him. I'm looking, oh, poor little Zacchaeus. Some are following Jesus. They're behind him, walking into Jericho. Other people are fans. Yay, here comes Jesus. He's a great miracle worker. He's a great man. Some people, like a ticker tape parade, are saying, oh, what's all that commotion? Oh, it's that guy Jesus. Oh, it's interesting. Watching him come in. What about Zacchaeus? What's he there for? We get this comical image of him running ahead of the crowd like a little child and climbing a sycamore fig tree. He is out on a limb, literally, to see Jesus. So what about Zacchaeus? Is Zacchaeus lost or is Zacchaeus found? Well, there he is, the little hated guy out climbing a tree on a limb. That sounds lost, doesn't it? He doesn't belong. He doesn't fit. But, but then he's wealthy and he's powerful and people fear him. So maybe he has found himself. Maybe he is found. Where's Jesus? Where's Zacchaeus? Lost or found? What about you? I wonder this morning, where are you? Are you in the crowd, curious but largely disinterested? Maybe you've been doing that for years, just standing on the edges looking at Jesus. Maybe you're like Zacchaeus. Maybe you're actually keenly interested in this Jesus. And perhaps you feel quite out of place this morning in a church with all these good people. Because you know you're not very good. You don't really belong. Maybe you're watching from a distance, hoping maybe that nobody sees you. So what did you do on the weekend? I was away. Or maybe you're following Jesus. You're with him on board. Now, I don't know where you are, but Zacchaeus has a counterpart, a good guy. We meet him in the previous chapter, chapter 18. Maybe you're more like the good guy in our story. And there's lots of good guys in Pennant Hills and surrounding areas. He is very much like Zacchaeus because he's a ruler and he's rich like Zacchaeus was and he's Jewish like Zacchaeus, but that is where the similarity ends. He asked Jesus a question. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a very good question. There are two certainties in life, you know, death and taxes. We've already looked at taxes with the bad guy, now we're looking at death with the good guy. None of us, none of us want to die. 
Death is the defining moment in our life. Isn't it odd? That death, our future prospect, drives almost everything we do. And every decision and everything. And am I succeeding? Am I loving? Am I... Because we know that death stands before us. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We all live in that hope that actually that won't be the end. That this madness we call life will continue. This glory. So Jesus replies, Why do you call me good, says Jesus? No one is good except God alone. You good man, to the good Jesus, why do you call me good? So Jesus asked him, what about the Ten Commandments, you know, the law? How do you go with that? And he says, all of these, all of these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. What a guy. This is a good man. He is centred. You might say he's been found himself. He belongs in society. He is the antithesis of Zacchaeus. You would like to live next to this man. It would be an honour. This is like living next door to Ray Martin or Guy Sebastian or Prince William or Roger Federer. They're all good guys, aren't they? You can't dislike them. They're moral. They fit in. We all love them. But Jesus comes to this Dudley do-right, and he puts his finger on him. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me, says Jesus. Well, he wants to follow Jesus. But there are too many distractions. Distractions that prevent him from seeing his need. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a someone who is rich, to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? <laughs> See, if Ray Martin's not good enough, if Roger Federer is not good enough, what hope for me? Or what hope for you? Jesus says what is impossible with God, impossible with man, is possible for God. So, first two characters. Let's look at our third character. Perhaps he's going to show us the way. We've had the bad guy. We've had the good guy. And in between, in this chapter 18 and 19, we meet the blind guy. Now, if anybody is lost... Surely the blind man is lost. 
don't belong, can't see the way ahead, don't know where I am, struggling to go forward. Surely this guy is lost. He's also poor, he's empty, he's helpless, he's totally dependent upon other people giving him money. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him. And told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. Have mercy on me. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. You know the word there in the original Greek? Your faith has saved you. Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he received his sight. And followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. He knows that he's lost. He needs help. So he cries out to the one whom he identifies as the king, the saviour. And he is indeed saved. He's healed. And now he belongs. And now he can see. He once was lost, but now is found, was blind, but now he sees. And so we have this incredibly odd thing in these three stories that is something is not adding up. When you get to the end of the Zacchaeus story, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, the bad, bad, bad man, salvation has come to this house. The blind man who couldn't see a thing is, puts his faith in Jesus as king and is saved. And the good man... rejects salvation that Jesus offers because he's just too wealthy. There's too much to give up. It's all upside down. So what does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be found, to be saved? When Jesus says to the rich ruler, no one is good but God alone. He is absolutely right. No one is good but God alone. The Bible tells us we're actually all bad. We're all the snidely whiplashes. That first picture. We stand alongside Zacchaeus. We reject our creator. 
We serve false gods. We live for ourselves and then we try and justify our good standing before God and others by well, relative, relatively trivial little things we do when we know that inside's not right. And particularly at home, with those who know us well, there's lots that's not right. But hey, let me tell you that I'm good. We might even say, you might even be saying, how can you say that I'm not good? How can you say that I'm a sinner? I'm a good person. And I want to say, all right, whatever. Because I can tell you, I'm not a good person. I lose my temper consistently even though I know it's wrong, when I feel my wife has made us get lost. Whether she has or not. And I know it's wrong and I try and stop and I do it again and again and again. I am not a good person. And somehow I know that I'm not good enough. And this rich ruler, he also knows, despite the fact that he can say, I've been good since I was a boy... He knows he's not good enough because he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's something I still lack. I want to belong. I want to be found. I want security. See, we're all lost. We don't have God by nature. We reject him by nature. How then can we lay hold of eternal life? How can we be reconciled with God? Well, when we come to the Zacchaeus story, right at the end there, you might have noticed that during the Bible reading, Jesus states what his mission is. Why did Jesus come? Why did God come in his son Jesus? Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to your house, Zacchaeus, because this man, this Zacchaeus, too, is a son of Abraham. Part of the promises of God, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is why Jesus came. He didn't come for those who think that they've found themselves. He didn't come for the self-righteous. He didn't come for those who are self-satisfied and trying to convince the world that they're good. Jesus came for the lost. He came for the blind beggar. He claimed for the evil tax collector. He came for me, praise God. He comes like he searches for a lost sheep and a lost coin, as we looked at, and passionately looks for those that are lost. Just after the story of the rich ruler, just before the story of the blind beggar and Zacchaeus, we read this. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Well, what's that? He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. They will mock him and they will insult him and they will spit on him and they will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. 
There is Jesus' mission. That's what he's going to Jerusalem for. That's why he's passing through Jericho. He comes to save. And he does that through his death and his resurrection. As God's son, we've just had Christmas, he entered our messy world and lived under God's righteous rule. And when he died on the cross on that Easter Friday, he took the punishment we deserve in himself. He died in our place so we could be forgiven our penalty paid in Jesus. And on the third day, God his Father raised him to life as ruler of the world, as king, as conqueror of death and sin and the devil. And in Jesus' resurrection, he promises life without end, life without the depth of that defining point of death. Life beyond the grave. And he will come as king and ruler to judge the living and dead and wrap up this world and bring his kingdom. See, we do not have a paradox here. Jesus did come to seek and to save the lost. He does it through his death and his resurrection. So how do you respond to this one who says, I am Lord? The rich man refused to submit to Jesus as Lord and give away everything and follow him. The beggar with nothing cried out for mercy to the one he said is son of David, the Messiah, the King, and received salvation. But let's, let's finish with Zacchaeus. Because you might remember, we actually left him up in the tree, waiting for Jesus as he comes into Jericho. When Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Hurry down, the initiative. I've got to stay at your place. I must stay at your house. And he receives Jesus with great joy because he's been called. He's been forgiven. He's been accepted. Wicked man though he is. Sometimes we talk about accepting Jesus into our heart. That's what it means to become a Christian, a follower of him. Well, you know, that's true, but, and their Bible does use that language, but I think perhaps better is that when you become a follower of Jesus, you accept him into your house. You know where you do all the really, really wicked stuff that nobody else sees? You accept him into your house. You know where you live and you rest and you enjoy and life is at its best? often at its best, you accept him into your house, into the fullness of your 24-7 life. And that's what Zacchaeus does. And if you read the story there, he makes evidence of his acceptance of Jesus because he starts to make restitution. He begins to right the wrongs that he has done because he now is subject to a new Lord. Here's the cut. It's bad people who go to heaven. Bad people go to heaven. 
people like you and people like me. It's the lost who recognize their hopelessness and cry out for help who are found. People like you and people like me. It's the empty and the frustrated. I shouldn't be here. I'm, I don't belong. Who look to the Savior and call for help who are saved. So I asked earlier, where are you? Let me ask again. Are you in the crowd watching Jesus pass by with some interest, hearing the stories maybe again, but there's no commitment there? Because I don't really need that. Are you like the rich ruler? Are you trusting in your own righteousness? Are you distracted by wealth and career and status and the things of the world? I want to follow. I want that settled peace, but not at that cost. Too high a price. Let me, let me challenge you that if you keep holding on to the things of this world that you want to keep, you will and are lost. The distractions are only distractions. Are you a follower? Have you been found? Are you walking with Jesus? Does he come to your house every day? Does he change your life by his spirit? Or maybe you're a beggar. I am lost. I am so utterly lost. I am so utterly blind. Oh Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, please. Oh gosh, I need you. Oh God, I need you. Heal me, save me. Or maybe you're like even Zacchaeus. Up in the tree, feeling uncomfortable, hoping for freedom and eternal life, and knowing that you're a damn stinker. I'm a rotter. I'm rotten to the core. If that is where you are, up on the limb with Zacchaeus, feeling miserable and unworthy, you are in the perfect place. Because Jesus says to you, hey, come down. I'm going to your house today. Because today is the day to trust in Jesus. Today is the day to be made right with God. Today is the day to accept his call and claim on your life and accept the forgiveness that he provides through his death on the cross for you and accept the life that he offers. And all you need to do when you hear Jesus call, you know what you need to do? Get down from the tree and receive Jesus as Lord into your home so that you can fellowship, so that you can enjoy a relationship with him. I once was lost, but now I am found. I belong. I have a place in God's family, God's eternal family and kingdom. I'm going to lead us in a short prayer. It's just a prayer. I'm not very good at this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't like doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to lead us in a short prayer and just ask God to come into our lives, and maybe for the first time, 
maybe for the first time, you'll hear the call of Jesus and um, say, Lord, I need you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we have all turned aside from you. We do things that offend you. We do things that offend our, the people we love. We do things that offend ourselves. And Father, we need help. Father, we are fearful of the prospect of death and judgment. And we turn to you now in our emptiness. And we call upon you and Lord, we commit ourselves to following Jesus and being forgiven and accepted by him. We welcome him into our house, Lord into the depth of our lives, that we might be transformed by him. Father, we commit now to following Jesus today and every day. We pray in his name. Amen. If you'd like to talk to me about this stuff more, I'd love to. Or Pastor Johnny or somebody else who knows and loves Jesus. And today, I believe, is the day that Jesus is calling. So please do not ignore his call. Amen.